Amen. You may be seated. Children are dismissed for Children's Church at this time. Open up your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We're nearing the end of our series through Daniel. What a series it has been. What a fantastic book. But there's a lot more to go. Hey, a lot more to go, a lot more wonderful truths to unpack. And we come to the uh, glorious end of chapter 9, which we will not finish today. Just a warning. Um, we will definitely give the first part of it today and continue it next week. It is a passage of scripture that is probably one of the most debated scripture passages in all of the Old Testament Daniel's prophecy here, or the prophecy given to Daniel in chapter 9. But we hope to bring clarity to it and to see what God has for us, as there are a variety of different interpretations and uh, discussions about this text. But instead of getting lost in the weeds, which is very easy to do, we want to see the great glorious truth that God is unfolding for us in this prophecy. But let's ask God's help as we look at this. Father, we need your help as we always do. Help us, Lord, as we open up your word. Help us to understand. Lord, I pray that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment to give truth, to give clarity. God, that you would use me in this hour to bring much um, help to this text that can be daunting. Help us, God, to understand it and to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we began chapter 9. And if you will remember, in verse 1 of chapter 9, we see that Daniel is in the first year of the Persian Empire. He had lived, of course, underneath the Babylonian reign. He had was a captive from Judah, and he was brought to Babylon. Babylon is no more, and the next empire, as we have seen through different visions of Daniel, has come to pass, and now the Persians are in uh, rule. And Daniel, in the beginning of chapter 9, remembers what God told Jeremiah. And God told Jeremiah that Judah would be captives in Babylon for 70 years. And that time had come and was nearing an end, and probably had come to an end at that point. And so what does Daniel do? We said last week he confesses his sin and that of his people by praying and seeking God. And the whole point of that chapter that we saw last week, verses 1 through 19, was what does true confession of sin look like? What does it mean to truly repent of your sin? And this is a great model prayer that Daniel prayed for us. We also saw the glorious truth that Daniel prayed for his people. Daniel interceded on behalf of God's people, and God answers that prayer, as we're going to see in a moment, as the better Daniel, the greater Daniel, prays for us. We have a high priest who intercedes for us as our advocate every day. Amen? So let's go to verse 20. Verse 20. Daniel, of course, had just been praying to God confessing his sin. And Daniel says in verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, 
and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So while Daniel is still praying, the angel Gabriel comes. And Daniel says, the man Gabriel, because angel, the Gabriel here has the appearance of a man. And Gabriel comes to him in swift flight. He flies right next to Daniel as he's praying. And Daniel recognizes Gabriel because he had seen him before. If you remember in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel sees Gabriel because it's Gabriel who explains the meaning of that vision in chapter 8 of the ram and the goat. We talked about that, about Persia and Greece and all that was to come. And Daniel gives us a time stamp here and he says it was at the time of the evening sacrifice. We know Daniel was a man of prayer. He prayed morning, noon, and night. Well, there was two sacrifices normally uh, during the day, the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice. Daniel says this happened about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, of course, there's no temple, but Daniel still prays with that mindset that this is the time that the priest would have taken the sacrifice and sacrificed it to God, and our people would have offered prayers to God before the temple. Daniel's still living as a child of God away in a far country. Isn't that awesome? And here we see... So when was the evening sacrifice? It happened at about 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Now, why is so significant about that? And that's not really the whole point of the sermon, but I just have to bring it up. The evening sacrifice was about 3 p.m. The priest would sacrifice the lamb, make the offering to God, and the sacrifice would die. What time was it that Jesus died? About 3 p.m. That's no coincidence. Jesus is the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Just, uh, that was free. Okay, I just threw that in there. Uh, that's not the point of the whole sermon, but I just had to mention that. Uh, so what does Daniel say about Gabriel? So, I mean, he sees Gabriel coming in swift flight next to him as he's praying. In verse 22, he says, He made me understand speaking with me and saying, this is what Gabriel says to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Gabriel says to you, Daniel, as soon as you started praying, God sent me to you to give you an answer for your prayer. And why? Because you are loved. Again, this is another free thing, not part of the sermon, really, the main point of the sermon. What a beautiful thought I had this, this week as I studied this. Why does God even want to hear us me who am i who are you compared to the god of creation but god desires our prayers he wants to hear us because he loves us and he answers our prayer because what he loves us i, I just love that Daniel, why did we come? Why did a word come? Why did God send me? You are greatly 
loved, O Daniel. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Here's your answer. Remember, what has Daniel been praying? He's been confessing his sin, confessing the people's sin, and he's saying, Lord, for, the, for your name's sake, send us back. Seventy years, for your name's sake, God, bring us back to the land. Rebuild the temple and let us worship you there because we become a joke. We become a joke out here. Glorify yourself, O God, and bring us back. And Gabriel's about to give him the answer to that prayer of going back and rebuilding the temple. It's been 70 years. Look at verse 24. What does Gabriel say? Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. What in the world does that mean? Seventy weeks. Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 to 27, as I've already mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, is probably one of the most debated verses in all the scripture. There are a variety of different interpretations and even a variety and diversity within those interpretations. But let's just see and help us understand, oh God, what you are trying to tell Daniel here. The first thing that Gabriel says to Daniel is that 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. 70 weeks. In the original Hebrew there, it's translated 70 weeks. It literally means 70 sevens. 70 sevens. Not 77, but 70 sevens. Right? 70 groups of seven. And it's translated week because what is a week? A week is a group of Seven. It's a group of seven days. So 70 groups of seven. Don't get your calculator out. I'll help you out if you're mathematically challenged. 70 times seven is 490. Right? 490. So 490 days or weeks are specified or decreed about your people. Now, most everyone, without going through all the weeds, understands that these are not just weeks. 490 weeks would not make sense in the scheme of this prophecy, or 490 days. Most theologians agree that this is weeks of years. 70 weeks of years, or 70 groups of seven years. Uh, Trust, just bear with me here, okay? Meaning that the prophecy that he's about to give to Daniel would happen, if you take this literally, within 490 days within Daniel's life, or if you took the years, within 490 years of Daniel's life. God's going to answer your Answer your prayer, Daniel, but listen to me. It's not happening tomorrow. There's a lot more that has to happen. 70 times 7 weeks still need to happen. Are you confused yet? 
Remember that by nature, apocalyptic literature is by nature symbolic. And as we've already seen in Daniel with beasts and horns and all this stuff, not all of it is to be taken literally. A lot of it is symbolically. But remember, why is Gabriel giving him this answer? He's remembering Daniel's prayer is very covenantal. Remember, God, what you have promised. Remember, God, that your mercy, we need your mercy, God, to go back to the land, to resume temple worship, to receive the covenant blessings that we once enjoyed. Daniel is essentially saying, okay, God, we sinned. You dealt with us. Heal us now. Bring us back now, please, for your name's sake. Give us our temple and our city back. But God's answer to Daniel is like this. I'll paraphrase it. Daniel, I love you. And yes, the 70 years in Babylon are over. But not everything I have promised you for my people will be accomplished, has been accomplished in that 70 years. There's a lot more to go, Daniel. There's a lot more to go. What is the purpose of this 77s? Like, why, God? Why 77s? What's the point of that? Look at, it. Look at what it says. Why has these 77s been decreed for your people? Look, here's the purpose. Verse 24. To finish the transgression. This is why. To put an end to sin. To atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal both vision and profit. And to anoint a most holy place. What is this ultimately about? It's about the coming of the Messiah. Daniel, yeah, you're going back to the land. But if you think going back to the land and having a temple is what it's all about, I've got news for you. Your transgression which brought you from Judah to Babylon, yeah, I have dealt with. But spoiler alert, you're going to go back and keep on sinning. There has to come a day where sin has been ultimately ended. There has to be a day, Daniel, where transgression has been finished. Where your iniquity, which is another word for sin, has been atoned for. So that once the transgression is finished. By the way, those are three different words for sin. Transgression. Sin and iniquity. Once all of those are dealt with, then something else can happen. And what is that? There will be everlasting righteousness. Both vision and prophet have been sealed. And the anointing of the holy. This sounds exactly what Messiah did when he came. When Jesus came... He did put an end to the transgression and atoned for sin. What, is it, what did he say as he dies on the cross at 3 o'clock? It is finished. He finished the transgression. This is what John says in 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Why did he come? Why did To destroy the works of the devil. Who is the devil? He's the father of lies. A murderer from the beginning. 
He's the deceiver, the slanderer, the tempter. And as a result, when Messiah comes in this period of 77s, as a result, he will usher in everlasting righteousness. And both vision and prophet have been sealed, which means everything that the prophets have told you, everything that you have seen in your visions would have been fulfilled and the word of God would be validated. Everything I have showed you about these worldly empires and the horns and the beasts, all of that, when Messiah comes, will be sealed, will be validated. You say, that was true. God spoke the truth. But you're not going to see that now, Daniel. You're not going to see it in your lifetime. I'm answering your prayer. Yeah, you're going back. The temple's going to be rebuilt. The city rebuilt. But that's not the point of my overall plan for you. What is God's overall plan for his people? To send Jesus. To send Christ, who has been ordained since the foundation of the world, to go die for God's people. To be the king who rules and reigns and squashes the enemy and the evil one. Because here's the problem. God's people will keep on sinning. If you don't know if that's true, just look in the mirror. There has to be an end. There has to be a solution. There has to be a cure. Why am I giving you? It's right there. Why am I giving you these 77s? Here's the purpose. Finish the transgression. Put an end to sin. Atone for iniquity. Everlasting righteousness. Sealing vision and profit. And to anoint a most holy place. And by the way, the word place there is not in the original Hebrew. Actually, it's the word most holy. We'll talk about that probably next week. It's inferred to be a holy place, the temple. We'll talk about that later. So this is the point of the 77. So then Daniel's like, okay, I'm just trying to wrap my brain around this. You're answering my prayer, 77s. Here's the purpose. Your purpose is messianic. The answer to my prayer is messianic. You're going to bring in the Messiah. Have you given us the time frame? Have you told us when he's coming? 70 times 7? So when does this begin? Right? If, if you're Daniel, you're saying, when does the clock start ticking? Right? Let me, let me start my timer. When does the clock start ticking? Look what he says in verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem... To the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. Uh, this is just fascinating, and if you thought it was already confusing, it's about to get more confusing. <coughs> Daniel is told that the seventy weeks, the seventy-sevens, are divided up in three different ways. There's the first seven of sevens. What's seven times seven? Forty-nine. There's six, the second one is sixty-two sevens. What is that? Sixty-two times seven is 434. I already did the math. I don't know that off the top of my head, okay? And then there's one last seven, which is the final seven. 
which equals up to 490 when you add them all together. But here, Daniel, Gabriel tells Daniel about the first 69 sevens. And when does the first 69 sevens start counting from? He says here, when the word goes forth to restore and build Jerusalem. So, the question then is when does that happen? And there is great debate over when that was. We're not going to get lost in the weeds. I'm just going to tell you the two things real quick, and you can make up your own mind. I'm going to tell you what I lean towards, and if you disagree with me, I will pray for you to be right eventually. (laughs) I'm kidding. I hope you know. I'm kidding. Okay. Remember, Daniel is writing this, and he's, uh, he's prophesying, he's praying this prayer in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. This is what he says in the beginning of chapter 9. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, guess what God stirs up Cyrus to go do? He sends the Jews back to Jerusalem to go rebuild the temple. And that happened in the year 538 B.C. Right? That's a historical fact. 538 B.C. It, there's other people who would say, they, and argue for the year 444 B.C., which is when another Persian king, Artaxerxes, issued a decree to go finish building the city, the rest of the city, Nehemiah, building the walls, etc., My view would be, according to this text, because of the context and because of the flow of everything and because of other scriptures, and people who disagree with me will come up with their own scriptures, and that's okay. They say, I believe it happened in the year this year, the first year of King Cyrus, 538 B.C. Well, there's a little problem there. And what's the problem? Well, if we're talking about 69 of these sevens, that's 483 years. 538 plus 483, 538 BC plus 483 years brings you to 55 BC. That's still 55, 58 years before Jesus is born. So how does that make sense? It's in the context of that when King Cyrus issued this decree. Look at 2 Chronicles 36, 23. When did King Cyrus issue the decree? Look at this. 2 Chronicles 36, 23. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, first year, that's the same year that Daniel's praying this prayer. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he's charged me to build his house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. So we're told in the same time that Daniel gets this vision, in the same year, the order goes forth to go rebuild Jerusalem, starting with the temple. Yeah, the rest of the city wasn't decreed until later, but to me, the temple and the city are one. You don't have the city without the temple. It begins in this year. Again, I'm not going to die on that hill, but that's okay. So then, what do we do with this? 
Well, again, with apocalyptic literature and the numbers that are thrown around in this prophecy, I think we need to look at the theological and symbolism behind it. I don't believe we're to take this literally or chronologically as a sequence of actual years to come up with the exact minute Jesus was born. I think if you do that, you miss the point of the whole thing. I'll see that as we go on here. Remember that these numbers are told to us in round numbers. For example, Jeremiah said the prophecy would be under, that they would be in Babylon for 70 years. However, they went to Babylon in 605 BC and then Babylon fell in 538. That's 67 years. But the Bible says 70. And so already we have a pattern of given round numbers that mean more than they seem at first these numbers are approximate what we what we must understand also about these numbers is they're vastly significant let me explain and why i think 70 times 7 should be seen symbolically in a way except not to be seen exactly to the minute although there is some chronologicalness to it but that's not the point have you ever heard of 70 times 7 before is that anywhere else in the bible yeah, and Peter, in Matthew 18, Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive? And Jesus says to him, um, 70 times 7. What is Jesus saying? Peter, you need to forgive somebody 490 times. Imagine, those are the same numbers, the same math. Is Jesus saying, literally, 490 times you forgive somebody, but on the 491st time, you let that bozo have it. What is Jesus saying? And it's the same equation, 70 times 7. It's an unlimited number. It's a large number. It's a number that we can't put our, our heads around. Essentially, in one aspect, I think God, Gabriel, is telling Daniel, it's going to be a long time, Daniel. 77s. But there's even more to that, I think. And we have to understand the theological nuance behind it. Like, why did, why did God choose 490? Like, that's a weird number. Like, why not 500? I mean, just 10 more. Round it up a little bit. Like, 500 years, Daniel, has been decreed for your people. 490? That's a weird number. Unless you understand the significance behind it. And what is it? And this is why I think, even though there is some credence to understanding this and the number of years approximately leading to Jesus' birth and ministry, which you can make an argument for, but I think there's something deeper behind it. And I think you have to understand these numbers theologically. And we see these numbers come up many times. For example, 770. They were in years, they were 70 years in Babylon. 7 times 70, 49, 490. The number 7 is very important in Israel. God gives Israel seven yearly festivals, most of which fall on the seventh month of the year. And when they're to observe these calendar festivals, they're to rest for seven days before, uh, during these festivals. The seventh day of every week was a Sabbath no work but rest and worship. And every seventh year was important and was considered to be a Sabbath year. 
that the land was to rest from any harvesting or get gleaning from the land. So you have sevens all throughout the Old Testament. Seven festivals, seventh month, seven days in a week, seven every seven years of Sabbath. And here's 70 years in Babylon. And now Daniel's seven times 70. You can't convince me that's not significant. And that there's something underneath the surface that is, that is quite grand and quite significant to this. The Lord builds this series of sevens in Israel's life and history for one thing. All of those festivals, every Sabbath, every seventh year, they were to rest. All of this was to focus themselves on looking forward to the great rest that they would one day have with Messiah ruling and reigning and freeing them from all their enemies. The number seven in here is a picture of completeness. How long, how long are you going to be in Babylon? 70 years. Well, it wasn't exactly 70. What? All the complete time. How, how many, how often should I forgive my enemy? Seven times 70. You mean 490? No. Complete forgiveness. You keep on forgiving people. The number seven is very significant. It's the completeness to a, to a week. It's the completeness to a Sabbath uh, cycle. All of this points us to Messiah. And this is exactly what Gabriel is telling Daniel. There's a messianic age coming. What is the 77's about, Daniel? Finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in righteousness, seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint the most holy place. And this pattern of seven years, I think, is really the answer to behind what the seven times 70 means. All right? And the answer is found in Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 822. Probably the book you're most tempted to skip a few days when you're doing your daily Bible reading. Don't. Leviticus is saturated with the gospel everywhere. Look at Leviticus chapter 25, and let's see what God commands to Israel. And as you read this, let me know if anything sounds familiar to what Gabriel is telling Daniel in chapter 9, okay? You shall count seven weeks of years. Hold up. Does something already sound familiar? You shall count seven weeks of years. Seven times seven years. So that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all, of, all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property. Each of you shall return to his clan. The 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself nor gathers the grapes from the undressed vines. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the land." Here in the Old Testament law, God prescribed for Israel, commanded for Israel, a seven-year cycle that they were to keep track of. For six years, they were to work the land, work the land. On the seventh year, they give the land rest. This is how God said, keep track, keep track. I'm sorry, seven cycles of seven... Seven cycles of seven years, 49 years, on the 50th year to give the land rest. 
And this 50th year would be called the year of Jubilee. And what was the year of Jubilee? It was a reset of everything. Every 50 years, all property would be returned to its original owner. How about that? Don't buy a house in the last few years. What original owner? The original tribal allotment that God gave to Israel in the promised land. Every 50 years, reset, everyone goes back to the beginning. All Jewish slaves would be freed every 50 years. And a slave in this day was basically, if you owed money to somebody, you, had, you were indebted to them and you worked for them until you paid it off. So every 50 years, guess what? All slaves freed. Also, all debt was canceled in the country. All debts canceled. No matter what you owe, every 50 years, you have a fresh credit score. And, like I've already said, every 50 years, the land could not be sown, reaped, nor gathered. They saw the cycle of seven years. Seven years, that's one. Another seven years, that's two. On and on. On the seventh cycle of those seven years, which is 49 years, after that, the 50th year was the year of Jubilee. Now, there's actually no record in the Old Testament that Israel actually obeyed this. Which is astonishing. But this is exactly what God prescribed and commanded them to do. What does the year of Jubilee symbolize? The future salvation that would come during the Messianic age. No slavery to sin. No debts owed. Why? Because sin has been paid for. What is the Messianic age all about? It's a great and grand year of jubilee brought in by King Jesus himself. So let's get back to what Gabriel tells Daniel. Seventy years has been decreed for your people. Seventy times seven, seventy sevens. Exactly like the year of jubilee. But seventy times seven is what? Ten jubilee cycles. It's 490 years. It would be Ten jubilees. Gabriel is pointing him to an intensification of a great and grand jubilee that is coming. That there will be a massive freeing of slaves. This is why Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. There will be a massive cancellation of debt. Why Jesus said when he died on the cross, it is finished. This is what Gabriel is telling Daniel. Daniel, you want to go back to the land? You want to go back to your temple worship? I'm going to do that. But the real answer to your prayer is in a coming messianic age. The Messiah is coming, Daniel. And that will be the real culmination of the answer to your prayer you will see him they will see him he will come he will do everything I have sent him to do and he will bring in his kingdom he will inaugurate this messianic kingdom and rule and reign 
And it will be a great and grand jubilee. Perhaps these words have new meaning for you. But in Luke chapter 4, think about this. Luke chapter 4, this is Jesus is baptized. Then he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And then he begins his public ministry. What does he say at the very beginning of his public ministry? Look at this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 20. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. Hey, Jesus goes in the synagogue. He was a rabbi. Hey, rabbi, would you like to read something? And he gets up and he reads. And Jesus unrolls the scroll. And he found the place where it was written. Intentionally, he found this passage. He wanted to read it for a reason. And this is what he reads. And it's a quote from Isaiah 61. Jesus reads in front of all these people in the synagogue. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me. What does that sound like? To anoint a most holy place. Actually, it's the Holy One. What does Jesus say he was? Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. He is the temple of God. The Spirit of the Lord upon me because he has anointed me, anointed as baptism, to proclaim good news to the poor. All debts are canceled. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. All slaves are freed. And recovery of the sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim, look at this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is it? The messianic kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What is Jesus saying? It's a new day. 490 years have passed and today marks the beginning of Jubilee. This is what Daniel's 70 weeks, I believe, is ultimately all about. The first seven was about going back to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, 49 years. Then there was 400 years of silence. Here's what I found. Not yet, Siri. 400 years <laughs> of silence. I'm preaching here, okay? 400 years of silence. That's at 62 weeks, 438 years. In between the Old and the New Testament. And then after the 62 weeks. After the 69th week. Daniel says. A prince will come. An anointed one. And we're going to get into this next week. What does this anointed one do after 62 weeks? He shall be cut off. And have nothing. That means to die. That means to die. What is Gabriel telling Daniel? It's all messianic. He is pointing him towards 
the coming Messiah of God. What a humbling passage to study. There's a lot more I want to say, but we will save it for next week. As Daniel then unwraps the 70th week, 69 weeks leads us to the coming of the Messiah. What is the 70th week? We'll talk about that next week. However, for now, be encouraged. We live on this side of history. Daniel was told 70 times 7, Daniel. Seven cycles, 10 jubilees until it comes. But he's coming. And friends, we could say he has come. Because you know why? There's people in this room I'm looking at right now whose debts have been canceled. I'm looking at people in this room who were slaves and have now been set free. I'm looking at these people in this room that have a land that has been given to them called the new heavens and the new earth. And where everything goes back to the beginning, everything is made new because King Jesus has won it all. Rejoice in Christ our Lord, the fulfillment of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Help us not to get lost in the weeds or dates and years and number of this and that. And we miss... We miss the forest through the trees. Of this great jubilee, these numbers are very significant. 77s. Thank you, God, that we have this grand jubilee in Jesus. This party that never ends. It goes on forever and ever and ever. What a blessing it is to live in this messianic age right now. That King Jesus is ruling and reigning from heaven until all his enemies are made his footstool. As his gospel is preached to the world so that captives can be set free and those in debt can be forgiven. Obviously, Lord, we're talking about sin. Spiritual slavery, spiritual indebtedness. But the Messiah came, he was cut off, he died, and he rose again. So that all those who believe in him can be saved. Oh, Father, help those in this room or those watching online who have not yet believed. Would you soften their heart, open their eyes, raise them from the spiritual dead. Give them a new heart new ears to hear so that they will hear and understand and believe that salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. He was prophesied to come and he came. And it's a glorious day. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's stand and sing a closing song together. If I could help you in any way, please see me after the service. May God bless you, and may you have a wonderful week. And Lord willing, we'll see you tonight at the beach. Let's sing.